exporting goods is generally GST-free, but not always and in every scenario. And so how do you tell whether a specific transport of goods qualifies as a GST-free export? You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 138 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. So how do you tell whether a supplier of goods is a GST-free export? Simon Dorovich of ANA Tax Legal Consulting in Melbourne kindly agreed to give you an answer. Our discussion today will be quite focused on the rules in subdivision 38E, which deals with exports and other cross-border supplies and of exports of goods in case today and when they're GST-free. But before you get to that point, it's usually an idea just to go through all the other elements of what is a taxable supply because GST is payable if you make a taxable supply or a taxable importation. But for today's purposes, we're looking at taxable supplies. So that's in uh, section 9-5. So there needs to be a supply, obviously. And an example when there might not be a supply would be, like, let's say a company is dealing with a foreign branch. And because legally the branch is considered not a separate legal entity, it's not really, you can't make a supply to yourself. That might be an example of when you're not making a supply, but otherwise it's pretty straightforward in most circumstances. It has to be for consideration. It has to be in the course or furtherance of an enterprise. An enterprise is defined pretty broadly. It doesn't include everything, but broader than a business. There's guidance. There's a miscellaneous tax ruling 2006-1. That looks at income tax, but it's also applicable for GST. One of the other conditions you mentioned is that the supply has to be connected with the indirect tax zone. So going back to section 995, taxable supplies. So we've talked about how it has to be connected with the indirect tax zone. In the context of exports, that's either exports of goods wholly within the indirect tax zone or supply of goods from the indirect tax zone. Then the next condition is that the supplier has to be registered or required to be registered. And there, of course, the as I'm sure you know, it's the $75,000 is the relevant turnover threshold. And you look both current month and previous 11 months. You also project forward and you look at your current month and what you expect to happen over the next 11 months. Certain supplies are excluded. Things like input tax supplies is, of course, the biggest one. But GST for free supplies are generally included. Very good point. So if it's a small business that started developing a product and tries selling it over eBay and ships it out to some purchaser in the States or in Europe or so, then until they hit the 75,000 mark, they don't actually need to worry about indirect tax zone and whether it's an export and GST free or not. It's, they're not subject to GST. With a proviso that you'll need to project your GST turnover. So once you get to the point where you think it will exceed 75,000 over the coming year, you need to register. The other one is that you can register voluntarily. You might do that because you want to be able to claim input tax credits. That's on- a very good point because if you mainly make export sales, 
you you don't have to pay any GST and you get all the input tax credits back. So you would want to register as quickly as possible. That's actually, yeah, that's a very good point. I completely forgot to think of that. Exactly one. right. You can claim the input tax credit, even though it relates to a, making a supply that's GST free and therefore not a taxable supply and not something that you have to pay GST on. And you might just want to register for GST if you think it's a matter of time until I do, my business will be successful at 75,000 isn't all that much and you prefer not to have to change your arrangements and keep track of the point in time where you do need to register you might decide that you prefer to just keep things simple for you and your customers and just register right from day one. Then the last condition which now we get to the real focus of today is that If the supply is GST-free or input-taxed, then it's not a taxable supply. And GST-free, which is in Division 38, includes exports and other cross-border supplies, and that's in Subdivision 38E. E for exports makes it easy to remember. The main section here that if you're dealing with goods that you want to look at is 38 dash 185. It includes a table that sets out different scenarios where an export of a good would be GST-free. Half of them, to be honest, I have very little idea about. There's, it you know, covers exports of aircraft or ships. Sadly, I've never had a client who exports aircraft or ships also exports of new recreational boats, exports of goods that are consumed on international flights or voyages. So the first item on the list is an export of goods generally, and the second item is an export of goods when it's paid for by instalments. Really, the only difference between the two is the timing of when the goods need to be exported. An export of goods in the general sense, item one, you know, within 60 days of the earlier of receiving consideration or giving an invoice. And when it's item two, it's dealing with instalments, it's just within 60 days of receiving consideration for the final instalment or issuing an invoice for the final instalment. But otherwise, the items one and two are basically identical. After the table, there's some further subsections that can extend or or limit the, the conditions, and we'll cover them too. So there has to be a supply of goods, obviously, and goods is any form of tangible personal property. So, Anything you can touch. So, yeah, so an intangible right or copyright, intellectual property, that, that kind of thing would not be a good Real property, that would be covered in 38190. Real property is not personal property. Things that you can touch and move. Yes, move. That's a good point. That you can touch and move. So real property doesn't count as a good. Exactly right. So that's the first condition. Then the supplier has to be the entity that exports the goods. There is an exception. I'll mention, but it's a key point that under some scenarios, it's actually the customer who is the exporter. 
And it's all to do really with who's responsible for physically sending or taking the goods outside of Australia or engaging an agent to do that on their behalf. And when does the the rights and, and risks transfer from the, the seller to the buyer? In GST ruling 2002-6, it says that the supplier is the entity that exports the goods where either one, the supplier contracts at the supplier's own expense with an international carrier for the transportation of the goods to a destination outside Australia, or the supplier is responsible for delivering the goods to the operator of a ship or aircraft who or that has been engaged by another party to transport the goods to a destination outside of Australia, or the 38-185 subsection 3, which is that exception that I mentioned, applies. I find it helpful to look at what the, the shipping terms, the INCO terms, which I believe stands for international commercial terms, which terms apply because that'll help you determine is it the supplier that exports or is it the, the customer that exports. I had a situation recently where the goods were sold subject to XWorks terms, AXW, and in that scenario, basically the the seller just arranges for the buyer to access the goods somewhere in Australia, their warehouse or some other point in time. And as soon as the purchaser collects the goods, then all the risks transfer to them at, at that point in time. And it's the buyer's responsibility then to... To the ship, to get goods to the ship. Exactly. So that would be an example of a supply that's connected with Australia because it's wholly within Australia. That The supply takes place in Australia and then it's exported. So prima facie, looking before we get to the, the exception, in that kind of scenario, the supplier is not exporting the goods and so it wouldn't be GST-free. Yeah, so the supplier would charge GST and then the buyer would get an input tax credit and then have a GST-free export and then could claim the input tax credits back as a refund? If the section that treats the supplier as being the one that exports the goods, if that applies, then you just wouldn't charge GST to begin with. If those conditions aren't met, then yes, GST would be charged. And then whether or not the customer could claim any input tax credits would, of course, depend on are they registered and you know do they meet the other conditions. XWorks is quite a, a common one. So XWorks usually means that the Australian supplier is not the exporter. That's correct. FCA is free carrier, and that probably usually means that the Australian supplier is the exporter. You're correct, that under FCA, which is free carrier, it's the seller who's required to clear the goods for export. So yes, that would be the supplier that's the exporter of goods. The ruling, when I say the ruling, I'm always referring to GST Act 2002-6. It says that under DDP, CIF, CPT or FOB terms, that the supply would be the one, the party that exports the goods. And often the supplier will engage an agent, a freight forwarder or a consolidator or parties like that. And the supplier, that is, is still considered to be the one that's 
the exporter. The other party is acting as their agent. Agent on yeah on on their behalf. And as long as you have as the supply, if you've got documentary evidence to show that relationship and that the other party has done what they need to do, then you're still considered to be the exporter. Yes, because arranging transport and clearing custom, etc., is a huge job that takes quite detailed knowledge of the whole process. So a lot of companies, I think, don't bother with that and just deliver to a freight forwarder or a freight consolidator. And then these freight forwarder and freight consolidators, they don't do anything else. That's their business. Yeah. If I was exporting goods, I certainly wouldn't know where to start really to go about it. I'd be engaging an expert. I mentioned that there's an exception where even if under the, the normal rules, the buyer is, and therefore not the supplier, is the export of goods, there is in section 38-185, but looking at subsection 3, there is a scenario where a supplier who has not exported the goods is treated as having exported them. And so the, the conditions that need to be met A, before the goods are exported, the supplier supplies them to an entity that is not registered or required to be registered. And often dealing in the context of exports where your customer is based overseas, that will often be the case that then the dealings with Australia don't require them to register, but not always, so you need to confirm that. Then B, the entity exports the goods from Australia. So your buyer, of course, still needs to take them out of the country. They need to be physically removed from Australia. Then C is the goods have been entered for export within the meaning of Section 113 of the Customs Act. Yeah, that condition would be met. If there's an export entry document that's been communicated to customs, then that condition is and met. I think this is the so-called deemed export, isn't it? And, and the classic example would be a juror who sells an expensive watch they don't want to, you know, post it by mail or they just have a career coming. So if ownership part of the watch passed to the customer in Australia and then the customer was the one that exported the goods, in that scenario to... Then it would be an export. Yes, but it potentially this deemed export rule would apply. Before I mentioned an example of situation that was a sale on ex-works terms, in that scenario, as we discussed earlier, under ex-works terms, it's the buyer who is the exporter, not the supplier. So it seemed like the supplier was not GST-free. In that same scenario, we were able to apply these deemed export rules in subdivision three, that's the kind of scenario where it could apply because the customer was an American company, wasn't registered for GST and had no requirement to register. They would communicate to customs and would had an export entry document that they would communicate to customs or, or at least somebody would that do that on, on their behalf. Then they would be the ones that export the goods. 
The fourth condition is that since the supply to that entity, the goods have not been altered or used in any way, except to the extent, if any, necessary to prepare them for export. In the case we dealt with, that was the case, that all they were doing to get the goods out of Australia, they collected them from a warehouse in in Australia. All they did was the very bare minimum to whatever the ship required to the state for it to be in to export it. So some cases maybe packaging or wrapping or cleaning or testing or various things might be necessary before the goods can be export. And provided it's necessary, then that's fine. But it, once you go beyond what's necessary and you're maybe you're taking something in a a not fully finished state and manufacturing or altering it in some other way beyond simply what's required to be accepted by the ship, then you're not meeting that condition. I can imagine that's a very important rule. Whenever something is sold X works, I can imagine that rule very often then kicks in, that it's still an export, but a deemed export. Yes, it is quite common to apply that deemed export rule. The supplier has to have sufficient documentary evidence to show that the goods were in fact exported. So I guess they'll need to gather that information from the purchaser. They're the ones that are arranging for the goods to be exported and so that they should have that, that evidence. And then there's an additional requirement has rare practical applications. So, so we won't go into that, that final one. The next condition is that, so there's been a supplier of goods and the supplier exports them from the indirect tax zone or is deemed to have exported them from the indirect tax zone. And then the next thing you look at is if they've been exported before or within 60 days or such further period as the commissioner allows. It's 60 days within the earlier of the consideration being received or an invoice being issued or in the case of goods paid by instalments, the, the final consideration or the final instalment, and we covered how the supplier can ask the commissioner to extend the 60-day period and how if the goods handed over to, to the ship or to the aircraft and everything that the supplier needs to do, they do within 60 days. And then there's some further delay, the, like a storm you, you mentioned, how the commissioner is considered to have automatically extended that 60-day period. So once you've, as a supplier or deemed supplier, once you've handed everything over and done everything you need to do within that 60-day period, you don't need to be checking and confirming that when the goods then departed the territorial waters of Australia. Do you often see companies waiting with the last instalment so that the 60-day period doesn't start counting yet? No, I, I, I don't, haven't really seen that. Yeah, and 60 days is a long time anyway. During those 60 days, you need to pay storage, etc. So I can imagine everybody has an interest in moving the goods quickly. Yeah, that's right. I, I generally don't come across it being much of a problem meeting that 60-day requirement. And of course, with all things tax, you need to have evidence. You, know, you need to have sufficient evidence that all those conditions are satisfied. 
So you need to show that there was a supply of goods, that the supplier was the entity that exported the goods or the deemed supplier rules were satisfied and that the goods were exported within the required time period. So in the GST ruling, it goes into quite a lot of detail about the kinds of documents that the ATO would want to see. There's transport documents that evidence the the carriage of the goods out of Australia. There's commercial documents in relation to the the supplier that shows who's the supplier, who's the recipient, what are the goods, what are the the payment arrangements, that sort of thing. And then, of course, there's all the, the customs documents and the exact documents that the supplier holds will depend on are there goods going by ship or by aircraft or what are the exact arrangements. But bottom line is for each of the requirements to be GST-free, you just need to make sure that you have something that proves to an independent observer that those requirements are met. Another requirement, of course, is so it's not GST-free if the supplier re-imports the goods into the indirect tax zone, which I guess is really just common sense. They're being brought out to only be brought in again, then it's not truly an export. So I think we've really covered off everything, to be honest. As I mentioned before, there's whole separate rules for ships and aircrafts and recreational boats and goods consumed on international flights or voyages. But they're rarer and ones that I'm not really that familiar with because I haven't applied them in practice. When it comes to the export of goods under items one and two of the table, I think we've really covered off all the requirements. Welcome back. So the supply of goods is only ever connected with the indirect tax zone if the goods have physically been in the indirect tax zone at some stage of the transaction. So the goods must have physically been on Australian soil at some stage. And if this is the case, and so you have a connection with the indirect tax zone and the other factors for a taxable supply, then the next question is, whether the supply is GST-free. And the supply of these goods is only ever GST-free as an export if the supplier is the exporter or deemed exporter. And whether this is the case or not very much depends on the INCO terms the supplier and purchaser agreed on. And it is these INCO terms that Simon Dorovich will talk about in more detail in the next episode. He already touched on these today, but since they play such a crucial role in the GST status of a supply of goods, the next episode, episode 139, will just focus on these. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.